You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Peter Malouk. Peter is a CEO of Creative Planning, a wealth management firm that has been ranked number one in America by outlets such as CNBC and Barron's. Peter is also the author of several books, including the best-selling books, The Five Mistakes Investors Make and How to Avoid Them, and The Path, co-authored by Tony Robbins. Peter's leadership in the financial industry has not gone unnoticed. He's won tons of awards, including the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and he was also rated number one on Barron's annual Top 100 Independent Financial Advisors list for three consecutive years in a row. This Yap Classic is taken from our conversation, which was a originally recorded for episode number 84 back in October 2020, but it's still super relevant and chock full of gems. And in this conversation, Peter shares his wisdom on all things investing, including why right now is always the best time to invest, the importance of diversifying our portfolio. We get his thoughts on the news and how it should impact our investing decisions. And we'll also learn his best guidance to plan for retirement and so much more. If you want to gain insight on how to grow your wealth from the best in the business, then sit tight and enjoy my conversation with financial expert, Peter Malouk. So when it comes to money, mindset is everything. Let's talk about perspective, because I know that you believe that having like a balanced, accurate view of the world is important so that you can make good financial decisions. Um, We tend to view the past as the golden age. We're always wishing that it could go back to the way that it was. And we tend to look at the future very pessimistically. Um, But you say life is actually better than it has ever been. Uh, So tell us the good news. Why is life so much better now than it was yesterday? And how can that help us uh, get into the mindset in making good financial decisions? Yeah, there's just something about the human condition that we find a way to be pessimistic when everything tells us all the facts point to constant progress and optimism. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I think it's funny that when people use like this phone, we call it a phone, but it's a supercomputer that can basically do things that you used to need a hundred things or a thousand things to, to do back in all the way back in 2007. You know, you needed to have an atlas and an alarm clock and a calculator. And I mean, there's all, we can do everything on this phone has more technology than, than what was used to land on the moon. Um, And we'll use that phone to go complain about how bad things are today online, right? It's just, it's so crazy. And sometimes we'll do it while we're having lunch where we might have a salad that 15 different farms were involved in getting that salad on our table and we're paying less for it adjusted for inflation than people did 50 years ago. We find a way to complain despite things being not just good, 
but beyond the wildest dreams of everyone on earth 50 years ago. So there is no good old days. I mean, we've been around for tens of thousands of years. Only a completely insane person would say, I would rather be alive in the 1800s or the 1500s or the thousands or whatever, back when there wasn't plumbing and heating and cooling and all the wonderful food we get to eat. And I mean, just we can go see each other more easily. Everything about the world today is better. But we we're attracted to bad news. We're attracted to negativity. It's much more easy to sound smart if you're pessimistic than optimistic. And the media knows this and they feed into all of those natural biases that we have. But if you look at everything, it's stunning the speed. Let's just take music as an example. I mean, it used to have to be live and then we got to the eight track and records and we got to cassette tapes, then we got to CDs, and then we got to MP3. Now, you know, we can get any song pretty much ever published in one second, right? Instantly in our, in our hand. This was impossible to imagine 15 years ago. And we could do the same thing with movies and we can say, I mean, all quality of life from the average size of a home to the amount of money we have to spend on food versus things we enjoy to the amount of money we all make adjusted for inflation. By every measure, the world is better today than it used to be. And where it ties into investing is, investing is really a bet on the future. Right, So if you bet the future is going to be bad, you're not going to invest in things like stocks and you're going to do very poorly. But if you accept not optimism, but reality, that the future probably is going to be better than today, just like every 50-year period tends to be, if we look 10 years down the road, 20 years, 30, is it going to be better? Most certainly, it probably will be, right? And if you believe that, then it becomes easier to be a good investor and not get shaken up by all the noise that's out there. So it's so clear that things are drastically improving. And I want to touch on one point um, that you made just a little earlier in terms of the news. Let's talk about the media and the news for a second in terms of shaping our perspectives. Um, in the book, you mentioned that, like, really, media is a for-profit industry, right? Um, they're there to make money, not necessarily to inform. So tell us more about that and why that's a problem in terms of, you know, how it shapes our mind and, and behaviors for investing. Well, we think about how the media makes money. So the, the media wakes up every day and they have a fiduciary obligation to make money for their shareholders. So if you're a publicly traded company, you have a legal obligation to your shareholders. So those are the people that own the stock in the company. Well, whether we look at NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox, uh, CNN, all of these places are part of publicly traded companies, which means they wake up every day going, how do we maximize our return to shareholders? Well, how do these places make money? They sell advertising. They don't make money from news. They sell advertising. How do you get more money from advertising? Well, you have to have more viewers. A show with 10,000 viewers is going to be able to charge an advertiser more than a show with 1,000 viewers. Coca-Cola will pay more money to hit more people more frequently, right? So now how are they going to get more viewers? Well, they have to have content that brings people back. Well, we know people are attracted to negative news more than positive news. It's just a fact. It, in their, and negative news is more effective. It's why for every positive ad campaign you'll see by either party in politics, seven will be negative. People respond to the negativity more. Unfortunately, it works. They don't spend the money on negative ads just to be mean. They're doing it because it works. It's the same thing with the news. So the Weather Channel's ratings are higher when the weather's terrible. And if it's a question the Weather Channel is not going to put people at ease, right? The Weather Channel is going to keep this narrative going as long as possible because it means more eyeballs on the screen, which makes their ratings better, 
which gets more advertisers, which makes more money for the shareholders, and they've fulfilled their fiduciary obligation. So if you can focus on that when it comes to investing, you know that when you're watching financial media or reading financial media, there's a tremendous incentive for them to make everything into a narrative, into a story, into a news cycle, into a crisis that keeps you coming back for more, just kind of like a soap opera. And there is a tremendous, tremendous disincentive that can't be overstated to calm anybody down. And so I think if you if investors understand that, they're less likely to make investment mistakes. Anyway, the side benefit is if, if all of us understand that, we're less likely to make just get all worked up about everything all of the time, you know? Yeah. So then tell us, you say that it's now is better than ever to be an investor, at least a globally diversified investor. So tell us about that. Like, why is now, I know you just kind of set the stage, but really drill it home. Like, why is now the best time to start investing? Well, if you think about what drives the market, the market likes to see technology and innovation. So they want to see, are things, you know, getting better that make things easier? We know that there, as there are advancements, there's this myth that it kills jobs and it doesn't kill jobs at all. In the 1800s, one in two of us were farmers. You know, today it's less than one in 20, but we have more farm output and the job unemployment stayed the same. We then, if you go back to 1950, one in four of us was in manufacturing. Today it's, you know, less than one in 20. Yet we produce more goods through manufacturing because of technology and unemployment has stayed the same. So the quality of life of everybody gets better with these advancements, but those things also drive markets. We need innovation to drive markets. So one, you have to ask yourself, am I living at a time in history where there are advancements with technology and innovation. Any rational person has to say yes to that. The second thing we need is we need people to buy this stuff. So we need the demographics to come into play. Well, we know over the next 10 years, we have 1.2 billion people emerging from poverty all over the world. Well, what do those people do when they emerge from poverty? Well, they might buy Nike shoes. They might go to McDonald's. They might go to Walmart. These are all publicly traded companies. It gets reflected in the markets. So if we look objectively at at demographics and innovation and technology, we have to say not only is it a good time moving forward, but literally the maybe the best time ever uh, to be alive with those factors mattering to the outcome. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. One thing that I want to talk about next is the S&P 500. So um, last time we talked, we talked about how the S&P 500 was a great thing to invest your money in and that typically, um, you know, year over year, it's an average of like eight to 10% return on your money when you invest in the S&P 500. In this book, you guys mentioned uh, something about the lost decade. Um, So that's between 2000 and 2009, a full 10 years, the S&P 500 produced 0% returns. This is much different than what I had thought. I thought the S&P 500 was like safe, no matter what, you put your money in there and you're good, right? And I think a lot of people think that. And we've been kind of like taught that and it's been like drilled down our throats the past couple of years in terms of, you know, young people investing their money. You've got to do the S&P 500, blah, blah, blah. So tell us why, you know, this isn't exactly true and like why we need to diversify in order to mitigate any risks with uh, putting our money in the S&P 500. Well, nothing goes straight up and in the S&P 500 definitely does not go straight up. So if you if you invest in the in the market, the S&P 500 today, the odds you'll have a positive return a year from now are three out of four, 75%. That's pretty good. No one wants to bet their life savings on 75%. Uh, but if you leave it in the market for three years, five years, your odds have moved to 93%, 95%. 
10 years, 98% plus. So it's really, you've got to invest it and and spend the time in there. And you've got to know that corrections are going to happen. About every year, there's a correction. A correction is a drop of about 14% or more. Some years, like 2020, there's a bear market, which is a drop of 20% or more. The average bear market is 34%. Believe it or not, with the coronavirus crisis, the market dropped exactly 34%. It felt much worse because it was the fastest drop in history to that level. Uh, And there was a lot of uncertainty, and it involved health, which is obviously the only thing to many people scarier than than losing their money, but it, in terms of depth, the average bear market. But like you just pointed out, there are very long periods of time where the market does not perform. So from 2000 to 2010, that same S&P 500 earned zero, something that normally would average 6 to 11% a year, average zero per year over 10 years. But over the same time period, international stocks were way up, small stocks in the US were way up, small stocks overseas were way up. Emerging markets, real estate, and bonds were way up. So that's the importance of having your eggs spread out in several different baskets instead of all in just one index. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me. I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, There's one name that always stands out, Shopify. (coughs) Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage, and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. 
It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify, and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store, and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. In the book, you have a story of, I think it's Tony's story about his friend, Jason. Do you know that story? And can you share that with us um, so that our listeners can really understand the point of diversification and its importance? Well, I think Jason had had, I'm familiar with this person, he had had this very big run uh, with real estate. And he really just thought he couldn't lose because history told him he can't lose. And it kept going and going and going. And he just was one of those people that really wanted to have an entourage around him all the time and have a lot of things, had a lot of a very public way of displaying um, his wealth. Ultimately, he never diversified. And the story ended you know, very tragically uh, for him when the housing market and condo market blew up in the 2008-2009 crisis. And had he just taken a little piece and diversified it, things would be a lot different. I mean, the more modern day story of that is someone has a bunch of money in a tech stock, the tech stock takes off, if they hold it, will it keep going? Maybe for a while, but eventually every company does itself in and you never know when that's going to be. And so always, we always encourage people, just take something and diversify it so you're never at the mercy of having all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So the S&P 500 is really like U.S. companies. So to mitigate that, we would choose international companies to invest in or real estate, like you just mentioned, or other avenues, bonds, whatever it is, um, something that diversifies your portfolio so that if something does tank or, or doesn't improve in terms of your return, um, you have other options to, to make money. So that makes sense. Let's talk about compound interest and why that's so powerful. You have a great story in the book about Kodak that illustrates the power of compounding. Uh, would you share that story with us and how you know they almost created the first digital camera and what were, went wrong there? So the, the idea of compounding is that things are going to double, and when things double, they happen very quickly. So you think about Kodak doubling the quality of an image, or if you, most of us can identify with an iPhone, right? Like the speed with which the camera doubles, or our internet speed would double, or what we could hold on a laptop doubles, and it doubles and doubles and doubles, and it gets to a point where it's absolutely stunning what it can do. And the same thing applies to money. You know, if you have $10,000 in your 20 and you just earn 7%, well, when you're 30, it will double to 20,000. But when you're 40, it's 40,000. And when you're 50, it's 80,000. And when you're 60, it's 160,000. So that 10,000 has become 160,000. It's amazing what that power of compounding does because you're adding to a bigger number every time. It's a, the concept drives a lot of technology, uh, innovate, it, it drives the speed with which we get technology, but it also uh, has a lot to do with money. And so your listeners, I know your audience is very young in general, and they should really be thinking about setting aside something, no matter how small, as soon as they can, to get the advantage of compounding on their side. 
Yeah. Do you have any examples in terms of your clients who have done this really well and have used compounding to their advantage? You know, the the reality is a lot of people that come to creative planning, they start out older. You start thinking about retirement, you know, when they're in their 40s or later, and then they come to us. And when we're fortunate enough, you know, to get those 20% of clients or so that are starting in their 20s or 30s, it's incredible. I mean, like all of their projections always work out because if you're saving for education or retirement and things like that at such a young age, you have the biggest advantage that, that exists when it comes to money, which is time. The biggest advantage is time. If you don't have time, you've got to find a way to come up with more money or change your objectives or push off your retirement or something else to make it work. And so if you've got somebody in their 20s or 30s that's willing to start, they should just open an account and start saving as quickly as they can. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about outcomes. You mentioned this earlier, the importance of knowing exactly what you want. So tell us, why is it so important to know exactly what we want before we actually start investing and start putting our money in stocks and things like that? A lot of us just think, well, when, when we, we want to make a lot of money. That's what a lot of us think we want. And so we then go to somebody or we do it on our own and say, I'm going to buy things that make a lot of money. But really, we want to make a lot of money. Why? You know, to do what? Is it to have 120000 a year when you're 63? Is it to have the money to pay for someone's college, whether it's public school or private school, for four years? Are we going to cover room and board or not? Is it because we want to give 10% of our money every year to charity or something different? If we have those pieces in place, which should come first, if we know what the goal is first, it becomes very easy to reverse engineer our way to how do we how do we put the pieces in place to make those things happen? And sometimes those are aggressive investments. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes to increase the chance of hitting a goal, you get more conservative. So let's say you have somebody that's super lucky and they've got a million dollars and they need 50,000 a year for the rest of their life and they're retiring today. Well, if they're super aggressive, they could actually screw up something that would work out just fine if they were moderately invested. So we really have to know what the objective is because the objective is not always to create the biggest pile of money next year possible. It's usually to produce something you personally want and then you back into the investments that make sense to get there. Yeah. Let's clear up some definitions because I think people get these confused. What's the difference between financial independence and retirement? Like, Why are they actually different? Well, I think they're very different. So retirement is you're done working, right? Uh, financial independence is you get up in the morning and whatever you're doing, it's because you want to do it. So if you go to work, it's because you feel fulfilled going to work. If you are doing two jobs, it's because you have to. If you're writing a book, it's because you have to. Financial independence means you can walk out the door of your job, whatever you want, and go just do whatever, you know, golf or swim or vacation or whatever it is you want to do every day. So financial independence is a liberating feeling because it's hard to be anxious about anything when you know you're choosing to do it. No one's making you do it. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's helpful. It's, it's helpful when you think of your outcomes because it's like, are you really planning for your financial independence or are you planning for your retirement? They're two different things. Okay, cool. So you in your in your book, you talk about the need to have a number of plans in place before we ever start investing. You talk about things like a net worth statement, retirement projections, education projections, insurance projections, risk management, estate planning. So, so many different things that you cover. I don't think we're going to have time to cover all of them on the show, but what are some of the plans that we should really focus on before we ever start investing our money? 
Well, I think you should at least have two or three things clarified. So, I mean, one, you, what do you have today? What are your assets and what are your liabilities? That's all a net worth statement is, is, oh, I own a condo, I have an IRA, I have a 401k, I have an investment account, I have a car. Maybe that's the net worth statement. And, and then the liability side of the net worth statement might be, I have some student loans and I have a mortgage and I owe some money on my car. And so the assets minus the liabilities gives us your net worth. Some of those assets bring money to you and some take money away from you. So we have to distinguish between those two. So a house might be an asset on the piece of paper, but really we pay to have the house every month. Even if it's paid off, we've got taxes, maintenance, insurance, we're paying to have that asset. Versus if we have an investment account or a rental property, that's paying us usually, you know, every month, something. So we need to start with that. And then we just have to set some simple goals. When do you want to be financially independent? Do you want to pay for your kid's college? Are you trying to get a debt-free Let's get two or three goals in place. And then let's say, okay, all these assets and liabilities in our net worth statement, how should we make those assets work for us to make those goals happen? And how do we get the liabilities contained so they don't get in the way of our goals? Hmm. You break it down so simply, but it it seems so complicated at the same time. Um, So in terms of somebody helping us make these decisions, I know the importance of an independent financial advisor is very important. Could you tell us the difference between what a a broker and an independent financial advisor is? So a broker, about 90% of advisors are brokers, and brokers basically don't have a fiduciary obligation to act in their client's best interests all the time. So that would allow them to use their own product when their own product might be a little more expensive or sell an investment with a commission when there's a way to buy that investment commission-free. About 90% of advisors fall in that bucket. And then about 10% are independent. Independent advisors cannot make a commission on a mutual fund, for example. They wouldn't be able to sell a variable annuity, for example. And I'm not saying those things are always bad. I'm just saying, well, I guess a commission on a mutual fund is always bad, but most of the time they are. And so I think that if you have that independent advisor, you at least have somebody who's legally obligated to pick the best investments they can for you. And that should, it's sad that that has to be the starting point, but that should be at least a starting point for choosing someone to work with. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high-quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. 
Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist Education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out the Economist Education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. 
for people around my age or younger, like when should we actually start thinking about having an independent financial advisor? Because from my perspective, it seems safer to do it by myself for now, right? Um, So is that the right way to think? Or is there like a certain benchmark we should hit before we actually go seek out an independent financial advisor? Well, I think if you can get a great advisor, you're almost always going to be better off with that advisor. I think there's a reason that the higher net worth people go, the more likely they are to work with an advisor because the higher net worth tend to be to know the difference an advisor can make. But the problem is most advisors will put you in a worse spot. So think if you're just starting out, it really is pretty simple. Open an account, max out your retirement plans at work if you can, whether it's with a 401k or open a Roth IRA and put as much money as you can into those, into those things. And if you have debts that are high interest rate, like if you're paying more than 6%, whether it's credit cards or somehow you have a mortgage or student loans or car loans at those rates, pay those down before you invest because you've got a guaranteed 6 to 10 to 20% on those things if those rates are high. It doesn't make sense to go invest if you've got credit card debt at 15% because you're never going to, you're probably not going to invest and earn 15% year in and year out. You may as well take the guarantee of paying down the card. So getting the liabilities under control and maxing out a 401k and Roth IRA and investing in indexes is probably what most people that are just starting out need to do. If they get over $50,000, $100,000, they really should consider at least looking for an independent advisor. I think that makes sense. So you just mentioned a Roth IRA and it reminded me of something in your book. What tips do you have for somebody who actually works at a big corporation in terms of how they should invest their money and what advantages they should take? Well, some corporations, not all, but if any of your listeners are fortunate enough to work for a corporation that has a match, they should definitely take advantage of the match. So what I mean by that is if you have a 401k plan at work, it means you're allowed to put money away uh, without paying taxes on that up front. So let's say you're, you have a listener, they're making 80000 a year. They pay taxes on 80000 But let's say they take 10000 and put it in the 401k. They won't pay taxes on 80000 because that 10000 goes into the 401k before that. So only pay taxes on 70000 So that's big advantage number one of putting money in a 401k is it's not going to be taxed today. It's not taxed till you withdraw it decades later. The second advantage is the money grows tax-free Um, And the third advantage is we get compounding on our side by doing it earlier. But some corporations make it even better than that and say, look, if you put some money in the 401k, we'll match it. So you might, they might say, look, the first 8,000 you put in there, we'll give you $8,000. Well, that's a hundred percent return on your money. So all of your listeners should basically go to their employer and say, is there a match? If there is a match, they should at a minimum put that much in their 401k plan immediately Uh, No matter what's going on with the rest of their net worth statement, they should be doing that. So even if like, um, because 401k, from my understanding, they're actually like investing it in other stocks and things like that, right? So like no matter what they choose to invest that money in, you're saying no matter what, do it and get get the match. That's right. If there's a match, doesn't just definitely do it. And then from there, within the 401k, you get to pick, is it the S&P 500, if that's in the plan, or is it international stocks, or is it bonds or real estate? The the plan, if it's a good one, will have a multitude of options. Um, But definitely don't miss out on that match. Cool. So the next topic I want to talk about is insurance. I think that um, millennials, we don't really talk about insurance. People tend to think about insurance when they're older, life insurance, things like that. What do we need to keep in mind when it comes to insurance in your perspective? So insurance is, if you don't have insurance, the plan can really, really blow up. I mean, you can be on track for everything. And if, if you die and you have a a young family with young kids relying on you, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, maybe you're on track to be retired when you're 60, but if you get hit by a bus when you're 28 and you've got two little kids, 
How are they going to go to school? How's that house going to get paid off? How's your spouse going to continue to to live? Are they going to pay for childcare at home, quit the job? What's what's going to happen? So you want to protect against that problem with a term insurance policy. A term insurance just means you're buying insurance for a period of time or a term of time. So it's not permanent. doesn't stay with you your whole life. But if you're 30 and we know that your kids will be out of the house and your house will be paid for by the time you're 50 and you'll have savings to take care of your spouse when you're 50, well, we're not worried about 50 and later. Everything would be okay if you're around then. We just need insurance to get us from age 30 to 50. So we would buy a 20-year term insurance policy. It costs very, very little, usually hundreds of dollars and solves a big, big problem. And you want to look at that through all parts of your life, whether it's about insuring against a disability or your home burning down or a car accident or whatever. We don't want the family to lose everything, all of their wealth, because you didn't get some low-cost coverage to protect you against a really adverse situation. I think that makes sense. So this really drives the point home in terms of having to look at your financial plan like very holistically instead of in silos. Tell us more about that. Like what 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 else do we need to consider when financial planning and why is it so important to look at the full picture and not just like little silos? Well, if you think about it, what people really want is they want to be secure and accomplish their goals. But to do that is not just one thing. It's not just saving money. It's not just a 401k. It's not just insurance. It's all the aspects of growing wealth. You know, what am I trying to do? How do I get there? It's all the aspects of protecting your wealth. How do I not lose my wealth because of a problem that happened along the way? Someone slipped and fell on the ice on my sidewalk. You know, how do I not lose all my wealth over that incident? And then it's how to transfer the wealth. Like if something happens to you early, whether it's an incapacity or death, how does that move in a low cost, private way to other people? And so, all of those things are part of the same plan. And we have to be thinking about all of them. It's not as complicated as it sounds. And I break it down step by step in the path in the book. But you really have to look at all of them because if one thing goes wrong, it's enough to derail the plan. Totally. Cool. So I think this was a great discussion. In terms of the book, is there anything else that you want to, to drive home to my listeners or anything that you think we should touch on? You know, I've written an, another book, The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes. I wrote another book with Tony, uh, Unshakable. This one is really the first time I've written about step-by-step, step, you know, how to do all of these things. And so I try to make it very, very clear. You know, here are the components of building wealth. Here are the components of protecting wealth. Here are the components of transferring wealth. And here are the things you need and why you need them to get them done. So hopefully I've laid that out really clearly. I, I did my best to do that. And your listeners can, you know, pick up the path on Amazon or any bookstore. Um, and they can you know, reach out to Creative Planning by going to our website, creativeplanning.com, or they can follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or, or Facebook as well. Awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I, you know, read it end to end. I think it gives great strategies. A lot of the stuff we also covered back in uh, episode number 72 in terms of like how the markets work, what's the difference between a bear market, a bull market. So I would definitely recommend to go back and check that episode out. The last question I ask all my guests is, uh, what is your secret to profiting in life? I, so I view profiting in life as more just trying to enjoy life. And I think the secret is priorities, just knowing knowing what really matters. I, I feel like I know what matters to me. And I focus my time and energy and the things that I'm thinking about in my mind on those things as much as I possibly can. And it, it has resulted in me you know, enjoying life a lot more than before I really thought about it with that kind of clarity and just kind of got up and went about my day. And so I think 
at least for me, just really knowing what my priorities are, what I'm focused on has made a big difference. I think that's that's sound advice. And it goes back to what you were saying before, really knowing your outcomes so that you can have the right plan so that you can uh, effectively achieve those goals. I think that's great. Thank you so much, Peter. It's always such a pleasure to have you on Young and Profiting Podcast. We're so grateful to have had this conversation with you and uh, we'll put the link for your book in our show notes. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh boy, Young and Profiters, this conversation was money for anyone and everyone looking to secure and protect their financial future. Like Peter said, you can't predict what's going to happen in your life. So setting yourself up to have some financial protection if and when something happens is super important. Time is actually the most important factor when it comes to investing. You want to have as much time as possible to let those investments grow. So even if you can only invest a small amount of money, it's important important to start right now so you can take advantage of compounding where your investment grows every single year. And over time, this can add up to so much moolah. So you don't want to wait. And also for those of you who work at generous companies that have financial plans like 401ks and matching, take advantage of that. You're working in corporate, so you better milk it for what it's worth. And remember that 401ks are not taxed until they're withdrawn. And that money also grows tax-free. And as you get older and you start making more money, you realize that like tax-free is a really big deal. So the earlier you do this, you get more compounding on your side. And this can be a huge opportunity for wealth creation. So don't miss out on it. And most importantly, Peter says to really consider what you want out of your finances. Having specific financial goals, like knowing the age you want to retire, or if you want to pursue higher education without having to take out a loan, instead of having broad goals, like I want to be rich. I want to be rich is not going to get you anywhere because it's too vague. You won't be able to make clear decisions. You won't make smart investment choices. And you also won't know how much risk you're willing to take. So think ahead. You've got a plan for your financial future. And remember, you can always get an independent financial advisor if you want some help with us. All right. So if you learned something new from this episode, drop us a review. Give us a five-star rating. That is the number one way to thank us at YAP and let us know that you think we're doing a great job. You guys can also find me on social media. I'm on Instagram at yapwithhala, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. If you enjoy our content, make sure you do reach out, drop us a review, reach out to me on social. Those are the best ways. You can also text me at 28046. You can text me anytime, any question you have, just to say hello, let me know what you thought about the episode. All right. Well, thank you so much to my amazing Yap team. You guys are amazing. This is your host, Hala Taha, signing off.